0: Before we get started, um, this is a good time to remind you, if you haven't already taken advantage of the resource that we have in the Bible app, the UVersion Bible app, each week we put together questions for reflection, further study, some resources, some links uh, to continue the learning, um, and all sorts of links and information there too as far as how you can get better connected to ECC. It looks like this, uh, wherever you get your uh, apps, and if you download it, click more, click events, and then look for us, assuming you have... Location services turned on. Uh, ECC will pop right to the top of the list. Encourage you to do that. So last week we covered just the first two verses of our passage. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. That's as far as we got. We're going to move a little faster today. I promise. We said that if we are to move into the deeper waters of our own transformation, our own journey toward Christiformity, having Christ formed in us, fleshed out in our lives, overflowing into the world, we would need to learn how to rejoice in the Lord as a way of life, even amid suffering and hardship. We said that we find strength to choose joy when we live into, tap into what scholar Robert Mulholland called the transcendence of a deeper order, a different way of living and being in the world we said that this deeper order teaches us that god can take all sorts of things that the world might throw at us the worst it has disruption destruction suffering persecution even death and transform it into something glorious and that we can trust as Blaise pascal said that somewhere something incredible is waiting to be known we can trust that god has a plan The image we used to better picture this deeper order was that of an anchor and the chain that's connected to that anchor. The anchor, which is the hope we have in Christ in the future toward which God is taking all things, digs into the seabed and allows more and more of the chain to lie on the floor of the ocean. We can see this chain as this this deeper order because of the connection it has to the hope, the anchor, the hope we have in Christ. And by laws of physics, I do not understand. (laughs) When wind and waves cause the ship to drift, the chain absorbs the energy, slows the ship to a stop to keep it in position. The same is true for you and me when we tap into this deeper order, this this radical alternative to the anxiety-ridden, stress-filled way of life that is so dominant in our society today. The question for today is, what is this chain, this order, made of? What is it made of? After exhorting us to rejoice in the Lord twice and reminding us to let our gentleness be evident to all, our forbearance, our way of living and tapping into this deep order, deeper order, Paul is ready to teach us what exactly this order looks like, practically speaking verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Do not be anxious about anything, not even persecution or suffering, but in every situation, present your request to God. That's it? Prayer? That's the best you can do, Paul? It all has to do with the three words that Paul uses and what they mean. I certainly grew up in the faith learning that prayer was simply talking to God, and to be, to be uh, true, that, that is true to a certain degree. Later, I learned, oh, I guess I can also hear from God in some way, too. But it's even more than that. And In my experience, this more than that that I'm about to talk about is not something most of us were taught when we were taught how to pray. first word that Paul uses is translated as prayer. Prayer. And it is used as a general word for prayer in many places in the New Testament. It is the word also used, because uh, Paul uses it differently in a couple of places too. So he uses it over in 1 Thessalonians 5, Colossians 4, Romans 12. And each of those tell us more literally that we are to pray without ceasing, that we are to be constant, constant in prayer, that we are to continue steadfastly in prayer. In each of those verses and a few other verses, there are additional words that speak to the without ceasing part, the continuous part, the constant part. This seems to indicate, according to Robert Mulholland, that there is a type of prayer that we can give ourselves to all the time. There is a type of prayer that we can give ourselves to all the time without ceasing. He says this about this particular word. Prayer seems to be Paul's term for the deep inner posture of one's being toward God in open receptivity and pliable responsiveness The deep inner posture of one's being toward God in open receptivity and pliable responsiveness. So the first part of this transcendent, deeper order is an inner attitude of attentiveness to the Spirit of God and a willingness to turn on the dime and respond to the Spirit's leading with obedience. It is perhaps the same thing that Paul means over in Galatians 5.16 when he talks about Walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. This is an ongoing, a continuous sensitivity, awareness, and openness to God. And you can do it all the time, or at least most of the time. There's a Jesuit priest that I've quoted a, f- a few times. He wrote the prayer that I've shared with you called, Trust the Slow Work of God. His name was Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. And he had a similar experience to some of the experiences, some of the people we've met in this series, like Blaise Pascal or D.L. Moody. An intense, radical experience of God. Just before Christmas, 1954, a few months before his death, a friend of Teilhard's writes of the last time he saw him. He says this, quote, We were walking the streets of New York. All of a sudden, he stopped, put his hand on my shoulder, looked at me intensely, and he said, Now I think I can tell you, I am living continuously in the presence of God. I am living continuously in the presence of God. Now to be sure, all of us are actually living continuously in the presence of God. God is everywhere. That's not the question. The question is, are we aware of God's presence? Are we aware? of God's presence. In Genesis 28, Jacob is traveling. He stops for the night. He goes to sleep, and while he's asleep, he has a dream, and in this dream, God speaks to him, and God promises Jacob that he is going to give him and his descendants the very land he is sleeping on, and he's going to make his descendants as numerous and as far-reaching as the dust of the earth. Verse 16, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. God was always there, but Jacob did not know it until he was made aware of it. For Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, as he neared the end of his life, he was constantly aware of God's presence. He was constantly aware that God was in this place. He was attentive to God, tapped into this deeper order we've been talking about. I'm sure that most of us have seen some of these uh, gorgeous images that were taken by the Hubble Space Telescope. And with the launch, please, of the James Webb Space Telescope on December 18th, it's been delayed many times, I'm hoping it happens this time, we're going to get even uh, more stunning views even further away of the cosmos. Some of the most beautiful images out there, however, are, are not things we could see with the naked eye. Even if they were right in front of us, we couldn't actually see what we see in these photographs. The light emitted from them them is of a different wavelength on the electromagnetic spectrum than is the visible light that we can see. We can only see these things with technology. Probably one of the most famous images is the Pillars of Creation in the Eagle Nebula. It's beautiful, even just in visible light that we can see, but when you add the ability to see... uh, Infrared light waves, it gets even more stunning. The one on the left is visible light. The one on the right is with the infrared. If we want to become aware of these different wavelengths, we need new tools that enhance our ability to do so. The image is there. We just can't see it or experience it without some help, some preparation. The same is true. For those of us who want to become more aware of God's presence in the world, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces. We need a new way of seeing and being in the world. We need to be better prepared. And I'm convinced. I'm convinced that this is all about prayer. It is all about praying without ceasing. Praying without ceasing, learning to move through life with this inner attitude of an openness, a receptivity to God, a willingness to go wherever God leads. The second word Paul uses for prayer in verse 6 is petition. Normally we think of petition as something we do. We make our request known to God. However, Paul actually says that a little further down in the verse. Present your request to God. Is he being redundant or is he trying to say something a little more? Petition is not only something we do, it speaks to who we are. Petition is not only something we do, it speaks to who we are. To to make our requests known to God implies that we are dependent upon God. And that we know it. We acknowledge that the only one who has the power and the authority to grant our requests is God. God. We must continually be turned toward God as our source and sufficiency in all things. But it is also an action we take. It is a relationship and it is an action. Out of our dependence upon God in all things, we ask, we seek, we knock, we present our requests to God. I used to be one of those people who um, thought it was ridiculous that people would pray for parking places and that sort of thing. But the truth is that's been changing over the years for me. because I can't find a parking place. As, as one person put it once, if, if it's important to you, it's important to God. If it's important to you, it's important to God. Ask, ask, ask. By all means, ask. Ask for anything you want to ask for. That's what the relationship is about. But allow for the possibility that you might not get exactly what you're asking for. See, primarily, prayer is primarily about our relationship with God. Not our shopping list. As important as some of the items on our shopping list may be. Even Jesus did not get what he asked for when he prayed on the night when he was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering pass from me. Nevertheless, your will be done. If Jesus did not get what he asked, it's entirely possible we won't. There is an openness, a relationship within which we can ask for whatever we want or need and there is then a yieldedness to God's will should the answer be no. Because we trust God. This inner attitude of petition, this submission to God as the one who can meet our needs and provide for us is part of this chain of order that keeps us connected to the hope the anchor we have in Christ. It keeps us steady and in position when the storms of life threaten to blow us off course. Third word Paul uses for prayer is, uh, is thanksgiving, gratitude. We are to choose not to give in to our anxiety and to our worries, but to make our requests known to God by way of prayer, by way of an ongoing attitude of praying without ceasing, an openness to God's leading, a willingness to obey, by way of petition, bringing our needs to God, but yielding to his will and his authority, should he say no, and with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. How do we get from here to there? How can we more intentionally tap into this deeper order, this chain that connects us to the anchor of Christ? How can we learn to pray in the ways Paul instructs in verse 6? Very simply, the first thing we can do is start. (laughs) We just start. If prayer is not already a part of your life or not as much a part of your life as you would like it to be, we can start today. We can start now. If you rarely pray, I recommend this. Start giving thanks at meals. Just start there. It doesn't have to be elaborate. You don't have to pray for your sister's aunt's big toe or whatever. Just give thanks. As simple as this. God, we thank you for this meal and all your good gifts. Amen. That's it. Practice giving thanks. And then let it branch out to sunrises and sunsets, to fall weather, to rain. It's a time with friends and loved ones, family, for pets, for a starry sky, for the first cup of coffee. Give thanks. Make thanksgiving a way of life. Look for what is good, what is a blessing, what is a gift in your life, and just pause for a few seconds to give thanks to God. If we can begin to make thanksgiving, giving thanks to God a way of life, we will find that we are praying more Often than we were before. For there, is, there are many things in life to be thankful for. I, I think I've told this story before, but if I don't remember, you probably don't either. Um, when I was back in Cleveland, there was a woman whose husband, uh, they were founders of the church. Her, her husband was dying of cancer, and this was right before Thanksgiving. So I was talking to her on the phone, and I said, I know this is going to be a really hard season with Thanksgiving come up. And she said, yes. And then she said something that has stayed with me. It's profound. She said, but I have found that if you look deeply enough, there is always something to be thankful for. There is always something to be thankful for. And if Violet Palmer can find reason for thanks in the midst of that, so can we. And then as we learn to celebrate the good that God gives us and to trust God even in the hard times, this will, I believe, birth in us greater adventures in prayer and a greater openness to God. As we grow in these things, something happens. Verse 7, And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We don't always get everything we ask for, but we do get peace. This imagery of peace guarding our hearts and our minds is likely intended by Paul to call to mind for the Philippians the Roman garrison that was located in their city. There was a deep military culture there. He's calling upon this this military presence as a metaphor for the kind of attention and protection God gives to our hearts when we do these things. He guards us with His peace. This peace comes full circle, as you can imagine, and it leads us back to rejoicing in the Lord rejoicing the lord always mulholland calls these few verses the anatomy of trust verses four through seven the anatomy of trust in god next to reinforce these things paul will call upon us to look for what is good and beautiful and true in life and in the world to take note of these things to consider these things to ponder them verses eight and nine finally brothers and sisters whatever is true whatever is noble whatever is right whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have heard or received or heard or received from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. As we grow in our ability to tap into this deep inner order of life, in our ability to take hold of Christ, who is always close at hand, in our ability to release our anxieties and concerns to God in prayer, we will begin to see the world differently. We will be transformed, and we will begin to see the world differently. We will become more aware of God's presence in the world. The the wavelength of God's presence and activity will become visible to us. I think Paul is urging us to look at the things around us that are good in the world, and to take them into account as the gifts of God that they are, No matter where they come from, all but uh, two of the words used in these virtues that Paul lists here, all but two of them are from the Hellenistic, the Greek culture. He is looking beyond the church. He is saying you don't have to just go see Christian movies. There are other movies that are good and beautiful. Look for things in the culture that are good and beautiful and true. Give thanks for those things. Consider those things. Become aware of them. And as we do that, we will also become aware of God's goodness in them. And we are to receive them with thanksgiving. You can see all these things feed into each other. In verses 10 through 13, which we did not have read, I just wanted to tap into it for a minute. Paul thanks the Philippians for their concern for his needs while he is in prison. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need... For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Two quick observations. The secret of being content in any and every situation, is exactly what Paul has already said to us in verses 4 through 7. Rejoice always. Know that the Lord is near. Nourish an open inner attitude of prayer, an awareness of God, a reliance on God, and give thanks. And God's peace will guard us. This is our secret weapon against the evil, the hardship, the difficulty, the suffering that may come at us. This is the secret of being content in any and every situation's Verse 13 is often used to remind us all of all that we can accomplish in Christ who gives us strength. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I was taught, as one of my memory verses early on in my discipleship, that one verse, to, to say that one verse. It's short, you can remember it. And I was taught that it's about believing in the great things that, can be, uh, that I can accomplish with Christ in me. But let's remember the context. Paul is writing from a place of suffering... And persecution to a people who are suffering and under persecution. To say I can do all things through him who gives me strength is really probably better translated as the common English Bible translated. I can endure all these things through the power of the one who gives me strength. I can endure all these things. What things? The things he's listed persecution, disunity, anxiety, hunger, poverty, and the like. Again, this means that we seek to tap into this deeper order, this anatomy of trust we find at work in verses 4 through 7. This enables us to be content, to endure all things, and to live in such a way that others will see it at work in our lives, and it will become evident to all that we live by something powerful and deep and real. In his book, The Divine Conspiracy, Dallas Willard described it this way. He says, It is confidence in the invariably overriding intention of God for our good with respect to all the evil and suffering that may befall us on life's journey. It is this that secures us in peace and joy. This deeper order, this contentment in plenty and in want is possible because we have become confident in God's invariably unchanging, overriding intention for our good. And even amid evil and suffering, our peace and joy are secure. How are we to apply apply these things to our lives? How are we to respond to the goodness of God in this brief passage that we've spent the last two weeks looking at? I said it before, I'm going to say it again. We simply start. We start. When it comes to how we tap into this transcendent, deeper order, we simply begin to practice rejoicing in the Lord cultivating a life of prayer, an inner attitude of openness to God, making our requests known to God with thanksgiving, then as we grow in in the peace of God and our way of life and our gentle forbearance, those things will become evident to everyone who knows us. And again, do not fake rejoicing in the Lord. People know it. Look for the goodness of God at work in your life and in the world the good and beautiful and the true, and give thanks for that goodness. Rejoice over God's goodness. Praise God for the gifts He's given you. And as these things increase in your life, you will find that you are truly able to rejoice in the Lord always. As far as cultivating an inner and ongoing attitude of unceasing prayer and connection with God, I can do no better than to recommend this book to you, Practicing His Presence, which combines the work of Frank Laubach and Brother Lawrence, two people who, independently of one another, discovered Another way to tap into this deeper order. Not words that they would use, but that's what's going on. I put a link in the, to the book in your Bible app live event. Frank Laubach was a missionary to the Philippines in the 20th century who experimented. He called it his game of minutes. He experimented with how many minutes of the day he could at least take one or two seconds to just stop and refocus his attention on the presence of God. Brother Lawrence was a monk from the 17th century who found ways to do the same thing in the ordinary and mundane events of each day. In his case, it was washing dishes in the monastery kitchen. Finally, this one's from my own experience. There is no practice that I've given myself to over the last few years that has been more personally transformative for me. And that is to practice silence before God. To make time each day to sit in silence, to slow your breathing, to choose a word or phrase that will help you to focus and sit intentionally in the presence of God. Over time, I have found this can be transformative. i put further instructions on how you might do that in the Bible app live event. So as we close, I want to share with you one brief quote from Brother Lawrence about his personal prayer practices. Then I invite you to a moment of silence as we close in prayer together. Here's how he put it. I have abandoned all particular forms of devotion All prayer techniques. My only prayer practice is attention. I carry on a habitual, silent, and secret conversation with God that fills me with overwhelming joy. My only prayer practice is attention. Would you join me in a moment of silence? Then I will close this in prayer. God, we thank you that you have not only saved us from our sin and promised us eternal life in the hereafter, you have promised us an avenue by which we can tap into the eternal abundant life even now. I pray that no one within the sound of my voice would hear this as condemnation or you should do better, but rather as an invitation to experience the joy and the peace that you have for us. I pray that you give each of us, God, wherever we are on this journey, the one step we can take, the one direction we can go that would lead us to more intentionally tapping into this interior stability, this deeper order by which, God, we can live a kingdom-abundant life that will transform us and transform those who know us. Lord, I pray that you would begin that in each heart, this morning, that you would begin that on a new level in us as a congregation, and that we would only grow and grow and grow in our connection to you, in our awareness of you, God. I pray this day would not go by without each of us catching a glimpse of you at work, in our lives, in our world, and that we would stop, praise you, and thank you. I pray you would continue that, Lord, and teach us how to be aware how to step into these things, how to rejoice, how to trust you. And may you receive all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise in Jesus' name.